Welcome to Armchair Producers. This is episode 126. After a very long hiatus, we do apologize for the delay for all of our fans and listeners out there, but we are back and we are ready and raring to go with our standard monotony as you well expect from the Armchair Producers. Now let's just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you today? I am fine and dandy, and welcome back for our second week return yeah. from our tour of uh, India and the subcontinent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this episode brought like to you by Kirin. <laughs> I would just like to point out for anybody who was watching this live, which I don't think anybody is yet, or anybody who watches it later on, Mm. No, we didn't coordinate before we no, came on air. This is this is just pure happenstance. This is just how we roll. He's wearing yep. the merch available. Wearing the merch, ladies and gentlemen. Anybody had ever wanted to buy it? Yes. Go on. You can. You can. You could put in an order with us and we'll make it. <laughs> <laughs> uh you're of course it's a big week in your world. You work in uh in retail. It is the the uh, unfortunately the curse of Black Friday has invaded our country. Mm. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. With everything else, America. Um, uh, any chance of getting an Xbox uh, Series X or? Hang on. Uh, I have one. <laughs> there you go. You gonna scalp that? <laughs> no, this this one I'm keeping, but I'm gonna get rid of my uh, Series S. I'm gonna I see if I ducked out the back of your store, would I happen to find a bunch of boxes with post-it notes on them going? you know, various names on them and don't know, know what you're e- talking about. eBay. I work for an unknown I work for an unknown company that has nothing to do with any uh, gaming at all. No. <laughs> don't, look behind about, me. don't look behind me. <laughs> I've heard about it happening in um some of the big chains in the US at like um the store managers in places like Walmart and uh GameStop mm. um, yeah. have been known for um for doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Another I company have... which has nothing to do with your employer there, GameStop. No, no, not at all. Uh, uh, now, is my video still working for you? Because it's frozen on my end. Again. You're still fine and dandy here. Okay, cool. Good. All right. Because the recording was fine when I went back and looked at it yet last week. So we will just continue. And I would just have this weird, strange, pensive, mildly ashamed look on my face on my screen. It's annoying. It happened to me last <laughs> week. Uh, so yeah. I can I can sympathize. Um, which is going to be a slightly... Uh, by the way, the Twitch feed, you'll look fine over here. Okay, that's um, good. That's good. So um, you're fine. So I'm gonna just don't you see... love listening in live, people, or listen to it later? You get all these you know, technical things. It's like you should definitely. This is the. Um, there we go. I'm just putting the. No, that doesn't. That doesn't help at all. I was just putting it down to lower <laughs> frame quality, but now. Nah. <sighs> yeah, but now, anyway, but yeah. Yeah, but now, but yeah. Let's get on with the show. Let's talk a little bit about what we've got. A, we've got another busy show lined up. We've got. I think it's quite uh, a bit. Last week was kind of nuts, but we've got a few, few yeah. things on the boil this week. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we, this week, our chain movies in, it was chosen by you, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the nineteen seventy eight yeah. classic. And yeah. I have one heck of a movie to follow with on this one. Cool. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I um, I don't know if you had a chance to watch any of the new Netflix series, Cowboy Bebop. I've got two episodes in. So I watched yes. an episode, so we'll have a bit of a chat about that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I checked out the new Apple TV Tom Hanks movie, Finch. Uh, oh, that's today. right, yes. 
and uh, uh, I've checked out the second season of Morning Wars. And if we have time, mm-hmm. I'd like to just uh, touch base on the new Apple series. So there's three in a row Apple TV series. <gasps> uh, dope mm-hmm. sick, starring Michael Keaton. Okay. And I have two things that I am going to talk about very particularly. Um, Last Night in Soho, the new Edgar Wright movie, and uh, Amazon's next big fantasy TV series, The Wheel of Time. Ah, yes, I've been meaning to check that out. Uh, and mm. an apology to our audience, I am seeing the event, The Eternals, this weekend. So we can okay. have a wide-ranging, uh, in-depth discussion about that next week. I'm very anxious mm-hmm. to see it. It is my birthday this week, and I have promised to see it with somebody who is as big a Marvel fan as I am. So uh we i will check out it on the mm-hmm. weekend and uh i'm very excited to see i managed to stay largely spoiler free somehow i don't know if it's a spoiler to say there's not much to spoil <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. meow yes salt salt <laughs> yes absolutely uh, do you want to start with I, i'm very curious to hear your thoughts mm. on cowboy bebop because yeah um, one of the great divergences between you and me is your mm. love for anime mm. and my general indifference <laughs> to it um <laughs> but i'm aware of it i know it exists you know i'm mm. not a weed but you know i tolerate them um now my first but, question to you is have you watched any of the anime version of Cowboy Bebop? I've never seen any of the Cowboy Bebop TV show. Mm. Is it a TV show? Cartoon? Um, uh, anime, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I know it so exists. I haven't either. Okay, well, that's I've, interesting. So I've what watched you might one have seen... episode. And from, from what I'm gathering online is people who have very negative things to say about the show are generally people who are very, very big on the anime, which, that's to be fair, mind. yeah, that's that seems to be the the standard fare for any adaptation of anything <laughs> which is true i mean we go back to mm. one of my pet, pet topics my love for world war z the book mm-hmm. and then the, mm-hmm. the, the, the movie or any book you've ever read that you've just gone and turned into a movie and you most of the time they get it wrong yeah exactly um but it's i think it's rather interesting that both you and i have largely not had any particular like emotional investment in this like it doesn't have any of the kind of the memories of oh my god i was watching this when i was younger or anything like that so let's get just let's just talk about it what what are your so thoughts on it who are um we, we're gonna do we got we're about to jump in and do it without telling people what it's about <laughs> but, um, which we never ever do on this show no, we are more um, professional than that the cowboy bebop is a netflix series based on as we've I noted the anime series from mm-hmm. the 80s. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. It was a while so. ago. Uh, a ragtag good. crew of bounty hunters chases down and da- the galaxy's most dangerous criminals. They'll save the world for the right price. Probably the biggest star in the show that you will recognize straight away mm. is uh, John Cho as Spike Spiegel. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the cast, I don't think I've ever heard of any of them. Um, um, now, I think. Um... If memory serves, I think the guy who plays Jet Black won Mustafa Shakir. I think he was in one of the seasons of. Um, he was in. Um, Luke Cage. He was in um, I, um, Luke Cage. Luke Cage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah he played right. Bushman, um, uh, Bush, Bushmaster, or whatever it was. Yeah. But beyond that, him. it's uh, <laughs> no, but neither really. Tamara, T- Tamara Tuni used to be in Law and Order. Um, she's in six oh, episodes. Oh, that's right. But yeah. John Cho, you'll. John Cho, of course, you'll remember best for um, 
Harold and Kumar. Um, and the, the new Star uh, Trek the, movies. Uh, the Star Trek movies, the Abrams vs. Star Trek movies, where he played um, Sulu. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it's a, it's a, I guess it's progress to see an, an actual Asian American playing mm-hmm. a role written for an Asian an Asian person, you know, Scarlett mm-hmm. Johansson in Ghost in the Shell, which of course proved a little controversial. Yeah. Um, I didn't like this. I watched the trailer, no? and I thought the trailer looked good. I thought the trailer mm-hmm. looked interesting. It looked like it kind of had a fairly light-hearted, action-packed, highly stylized, you know, uh, sort of almost kind of reminding me a little bit of a Serenity or Firefly, a tiny little That's bit, what you know? I was getting from it too, yeah. But, and I guess it's kind of there, but mm-hmm. it's just done really, really badly. And I've actually been surprised at how many people are saying they love this. Mm. Um, especially episode one has a 7.1. On IMDb as, as, as an episode, a, a mm-hmm. overall series has a rating of six point seven. I mm. found it weak, um, and it was weird. Parts of it look really fucking cheap, like really cheap. Um, yeah. Like the, 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 so an opening scene is is a heist of a casino going on, which mm-hmm. is interrupted by. Um, I mean, this is the first five minutes, so no spoilers here. Um, John mm. by Spike interrupts it with uh, along with Jet. As mm-hmm. they are trying to capture the gang who are robbing the casino to hand them in for a bounty, mm. um, and that scene looks kind of cheap. It really, really looks like it's shot on a set. Like it doesn't feel. I mean, I, it's a space casino, and in fairness, it's been a little while since I've been to a space casino. The whole COVID things kind of knocked it on their head. True, um, true. It has know, been suffering. And my insufferable gambling addiction. Um, mm. But um, less said about that, the better. Oh, I did this felt cheap, and <laughs> it was on a set. Like I said, it really felt fake. But then the next scene was them traveling across the galaxy to hand in their bounty, mm. and that looked really, really. We're going for like a, a like a wormhole or a space gate mm. thing, or you know, and need to trans. And you're like, that looked cool, like really cool. The space stuff looks cool, but the, the sets they really look like a really cheaply made first scene. The other part of it, which has really started to bother me in the first episode, was the lack of impact of anything happening in terms of action. So um, it, there's a lot of kung fu type stuff in it. it you know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of fight scenes, a lot of gunfights. Having seen Shang Chi a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and you know, put my hand up again. I am not an expert when it comes to kung fu movies or karate movies. Um, you gave up that crown a while ago. <laughs> when I was born, I don't like them. Um, but <laughs> I enjoyed the, the fight scenes in Shang-Chi. They felt mm-hmm. like they had impact when they were hitting someone. You kind of, you, you know, you could buy the fact that he was actually trying to hurt them and actually hitting yes. them. Whereas yes. there was something about the fight scenes in this that felt like they were in slow motion and they yeah. were like pulling their punches very, very obviously. And I just didn't feel it really pulled me out of the whole show because it was so fake. Mm. That's been one of my biggest problems with it. Um, and I think I know why that why it has been chosen to do that way because I've watched I think maybe two episodes now of the anime as well, and is this just recently? Yeah, yeah. This is this. I'm kind of watching live action anime in tandem, and the fight sequences in the anime are very stylized, very cool, and they have that kind of 
comic booky kind of feel where you see uh, Spike will be swinging around for a punch or a kick, and then there's just that freeze frame moment that, thinking about it right now, they got really well. They per- kind of perfected it in Scott Pilgrim versus the World, where it had that comic book feel, and then there was that almost like a like a two millisecond pause of the impact, and then it carried on. Whereas in the sh- in the live action of Cowboy Bebop, it feels more like, all right, and the set goes up to here, pause, move on. It's it feels very. Um, staged to look good but they kind of it feels like they need to speed up the action sequences by about 50 percent to be able to actually sell them they just look too too much like a ballet and not a good way because i mean that was what was one of our our things we i think i know i liked about shang chi to go back to that was some of the Mm -hmm. fight scenes especially the one between shang chi's mother and father when they meet each other in the woods it was mm. very choreographed and, and it was very obviously meant to look like ballet or dancing. Or if yes. you look at something like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, the five mm-hmm. scenes in that are so gorgeously choreographed, they could be, you know, regarded as, you know, a dance in many ways, which yeah. is part of a genius of, of, of Ang Lee's film. But mm. this one, it, it looks like uh, maybe it's like, you know, shitty dancing at that blue light disco between two kids who, you know, don't look, I've apologized to... about that situation multiple times. Hey, you know, we're all we all hit the floor when 100 pure love by crystal waters comes on. That's just uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the rule. I don't make the rules. I it's, just it's, live well, by actually, them. no, you don't make the rules all the time. It's only 76 percent of the time that you make the rules. Only 76 five out of seven times. I'm mm-hmm. but when it comes <laughs> to the crystal waters, I you know, my I am a slave to that room. Um, yep. but it, yeah, but it felt really weird. I was watching it going, this is so odd. I can't quite figure out what you're going for. Like, again, you, you're probably right. Maybe it has something to do with them trying to ape the style of the anime, the cartoons. Mm. Um, and you're right. Scott Pilgrim. I remember when I Pilgrim, I'm like, I remember I turned to Patria, a friend of a show. You saw it with me at the Melbourne Film Festival. No one's going to get that. No one's going to yeah. get that. But that is the best comic book film that's ever been made. And I stand by that. I think it's a great film. But it kind of, because it was so stylized and it kind of pulled that, it almost pulled back and you almost the panel in, and, you know, they turned him into a cartoon style panel and they actually did the points have, you know, an actual character of, of Scott on the screen. It, it kind of worked. But it's, even yeah. the gunfights feel weirdly staged and fake. Yeah. Um, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it just, but, but where it kept coming into my head was like I said, it kept lacking impact. Like the punches didn't seem to be landing. Mm. They didn't seem to be doing anything uh, to the people who were being punched. The gunfight felt weirdly ill motivated, like they weren't really trying to shoot each other. Mm. And, you know, I enjoy um, that sort of gun ballet thing that happens. If you think of the Robert Rodriguez films from the, uh, the 90s, mm. you know, El Mariachi, Desperado, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, he pulled that kind of thing. Or um, what's yeah, the Christian Bale one? Equilibrium. Gun, gun that one that was beautiful was the best part of that film. Mm. Um, so, but again, they're not pulling it off very well in this show. So I was like, I was deeply uninvolved by the time the show ended. And I was like, I don't think I want to watch another episode. It's, it's a real shame because <sighs> Cowboy Bebop is one of those shows that is so highly regarded, the anime. And I want to be invested, but even with the um, anime, there's something not quite engaging me. Um, 
and I don't know what it is entirely. Maybe it's the strange disassociation of Spike as a character from his past to his present and his kind of jovial antagonistic relationship with Jet. I, I don't know. I just, I don't feel like there's anything to invest in at the moment in the first two episodes. It's like, okay. And the episodes kind of feel long. They do. Like, it kind of felt like if it squeezed them up to half an hour, that might have been a little bit more impactful. Yeah. They just kind yeah. of dragged a little bit um, for me. But then again, it's mm. probably due to the fact that I just wasn't digging what they were, what they were selling me. Um, yeah. But um, I, I definitely felt it was, might have been might have been tightened up a little bit but mm. again i'm not familiar with the story so i don't know how much ground they have to cover in the uh the 10 episodes or so but again i i kind of feel like less and less validity in that argument because with netflix they can literally they have control over it they control over every single element of it they don't have to sit between time slots they don't have to worry about putting advertising times in or anything like that if they want to have a 36 minute episode one week and a 74 minute episode another week if that's how the story flows best then why not they're still sticking to this old school idea of a rigid time slot for each episode and i've talked about it ad nauseum at this point about the disney uh, marvel stuff same with Star Wars stuff. They're, they're in control of their own destinies, so why not just go, okay, let's just tell this story how we need to. This week, it is an hour long. Next week, it's going to be 47 minutes. Just tell the story you need to tell in the pace you need to tell it. I guess the only thing there is if they've done some sort of study that said that people don't like watching shows where one episode is double the length of the other ones, they like the idea that if they go in and watch... Um an episode of something it goes for half an hour because that's what they expect it to be and they know well I i've got half so. an hour before i have to go to bed i can squeeze in one episode of insert show here mm. well we are the armchair producers so i'm just fulfilling our role I say, we certainly, <laughs> if there's certainly a show you can't predict the length of it's this one mm. <laughs> it is that is true. you know you want to know how long your show is fuck you that's how long it is um <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't bode well for, for us like um, uh, Akira, right? Akira is, you know, I, mm. I kind of feel like Cowboy Bebop is held on a on a platform with something like Akira as being sort of the, you know, some of the uh, gold standards of, of that kind of, you know, product yeah. that come out of Japan. Uh, that's not part of Ghibli, you know. Um, yeah. Which, of course, they would never, ever, ever remake in the West. Um, God, <laughs> wouldn't that be a sacred cow there would be a man uh, that's probably oh, goodness me. Too. no 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 <laughs> but akira we won't, we won't is, is currently is everyone everyone's had a um everyone's had a, a go at akira i mean a few years ago with jordan peele was attached to it mm -hmm. i think everyone in hollywood's been attached to it currently it's taika watiti is attached to to do the akira remake it kind of makes you wonder if um you know, is it possible to translate something like that that's so beloved and made in a completely different culture like Japan and translated successfully into something a Western audience will find palatable. Yeah. Um, I think at the moment, the current person circling Akira is Taika Waititi. Yeah, that's what he said. Which seems like an... Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just trying to sort out some technical stuff. <laughs> um, it's just an interesting choice. Taika has uh, apparently written a script and he's down to, down to direct, according to IMDb. Okay, okay. Uh, well... You know, he has uh, made a very successful career of himself. So, you know, it's him up to him to drop the ball, I guess. 
But um, yeah, overall, I'm disappointed in Cowboy Bebop. I was hoping for, uh, you said it earlier on, on the style, a bit more Serenity slash Firefly. Um, I can imagine that 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 show lends a lot to Cowboy Bebop, the anime. Um, it's just the the melting pot of social styles going on in the movie where you've got Asian influence with um, Latino and all sorts of stuff come, just going on all at once, all in the big screen. Um, I can see, I can see the, uh, the legacy of Cowboy in Firefly, but um, or, where... um, the other thing it mm. kind of, now that you mentioned it, it kind of reminded me of was that, um, what was the Robert Rodriguez film? Um, oh, um, Alita, Alita Battle Angel. Alita Battle Angel. Yeah. Again, that mm. was sort of you know your you know futurey world with you know dusty planet with you know different cultures mm. all melding together. Very, very true. Very true. And another highly lauded um, manga that has been circling around for years trying to get a production going. But I just feel like it's lacking. I hope I'm probably going to stick with it over time. I'm not going to stick religiously to it, but I will get through it. I hope that it ends strong. Because I think John Cho is pretty good. I think everyone plays their part pretty well. I think that they need to just speed everything up. The dialogue needs to be a bit snappier. The action needs to just really improve. It is just from the opening title credits, that boom, 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 jazz kind of stuff going on. It should be chaotic and frenetic and energetic, but it doesn't, the show doesn't really reflect that. And it needs to i think to be a bit more true to itself i just expected that jazzy sort of thing and sort of the, the heist mentality going on in there i just half expected mm. you know morty to rick in and go you son of a bitch i'm in uh, <laughs> so, um i i don't know that i'm gonna persist it's just a shame it's like i think i agree i think john cho is doing well Mm -hmm. uh he's playing against type a little bit which is um mm -hmm. not we'd normally see him in this kind of role we sort of again mm -hmm. you know uh, well, you've seen him in a few different... I mean, I didn't see him in Sulu when I saw him in um, Harold and Kumar, but, you know, yeah, uh, I think he's, he's inheriting that, that role really well. And some of the stylized look and feel of it look good, but mm -hmm. as I said to start with, some of it really looks cheap. So mm. uh, I find this fan is a very confusing experience. Yeah. No, that I, I agree with that. I think that's very fair. Um, should we move did on? You, did you want to have a chat about uh, Wheel of Time? Because I'm very curious about this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I just marked down a time there, 22.15. Okay, so Wheel of Time is one of the one of the great book series of all time, heralded by fantasy lovers. Um, you know, there's Lord of the Rings, there's... Um, Narnia. Lion, Narnia, yeah, thank you. I was thinking Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe. Um, and Wheel of Time is kept up there, and now you've got stuff like um, A Song of Ice and Fire as well. Um, although that has been tainted somewhat because of the show's disappointing final seasons. Um, Wheel of Time is Amazon Studios' first big foray into high fantasy, and this is a high fantasy show and it is a high value show it is every you look at every single element of it and there's high production values they um are really pushing pushing big for it 
And then next year, they've got a TV show of the Lord of the Rings as well. So they're going heavy on this fantasy bit. Uh, big, big, big budget, expensive fantasy shit. Mm -hmm. Like This is some of the most expensive telly that's ever been made, if not the most expensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the Wheel of Time, um, some people might look at it as go, oh, it's just going to be the new Game of Thrones. That is very unfair. Um, if you read the Wheel of Time books written by the wonderful Robert Jordan, rest in peace, finished off by Brandon Sanderson, it is a completed saga. There's there's no more, so they can't get ahead of the books or anything like what happened with Game of Thrones. Um, and there are many, many people who have been waiting for this show. And I have been one of them for the last year and a half as I've been just gorging myself on the books. I am a big fan of Rosamund Pike as an actress as well, and she is easily the biggest name star in the whole show. Uh, for those who don't necessarily know the name, she's not been particularly like the this, this star power character of anything, but she was in Jack Reacher, she was in Pride and Prejudice. Gone Girl. Gone, Gone Girl. Girl, yes. She should have won an Oscar for Gone Girl. Mm, yeah, fan fantastic solid performances, and she um, uh, is taking on one of the iconic roles of the of the series called Moraine Sedai, um, or Moraine Demordered. And it's in cursory, it's a very, oh, I've been there, done that, heard that storyline before, because it's all about this prophecy of the dragon reborn. And this is a world where essentially magic has fucked shit up. There are two sides to magic. There's a male and female side, and the male side has been tainted by evil. And any male who can get, who can touch this male magical side of, of the power, the one power as it's called, essentially ends up going nuts and goes bad in a big way. But there's this prophecy that the dragon, who is this, um, in history, was the person that essentially broke the world he is going to be reborn because it's a wheel of time and people enter leave and enter the weave of time and the fabric of time repeatedly and he has been reborn and she is looking for this dragon reborn to help guide him to essentially save the world sounds very familiar oh a young person is going to be the one who saves us from the great evil but the there's so much more going on in this show and it is really delightful. I don't want to go too far into it because it can go in potentially spoilers for people who are particularly sensitive. Now, is this a good adaptation of the book? Yes, because it is actually using the word adaptation. It is using the book as a very clear guide, but it is adjusting some bits that just would not translate well into live action or it's amalgamating things just to speed up a little bit of storytelling for example the first episode um there's some stuff that goes on in there that i was sort of like whoa it it really hit me because I, I knew what was supposed to happen i've read the books and other shit happened and it was like oh that gives so much better better balance to this character and that character and it just gives them more gravitas rather than the the hanger on and the ron weasley <laughs> the wheel of time where it's like oh it's just your best friend it just so happens to get caught up in this no every character now has this legitimate reason for for doing what they're doing and it's 
it feels more solid, especially jumping in. Um, the first three episodes are available on Prime Video, and they are a little long, but personally, I really enjoyed the length. It gave them good time, and so far, the pacing has been um, very good. The production values are awesome. The relationships between the characters are slowly developing. The one niggle that I have is a common problem that I have with a lot of shows or movies where there is the savior character in that that character usually ends up being rather boring for most of the show until like the the moment where they do step into the true hero role and stuff like that and that does come through here quite a bit but the rest of the performers around the rest of the story the building of the world that's going on it's very very good um I can understand why some people would be really pissed off because they are changing some things from the book, but I think they're doing intelligent changes. It has a 7.4 overall on mm -hmm. IMDb. Uh, mm -hmm. Episode 1 has a 7.6, so that's pretty solid. Mm. Um, um, this is not the kind of show that I think you would enjoy, given I was going to say, do, do, do I need to have... Uh, if I haven't read the books, how, how much am I going to like this? You don't need to read the books. Um, there is, in in a lot of ways, they are, I feel like some of this feels like um, their test bed between bridging what was delivered on how they successfully delivered Lord of the Rings in the Peter Jackson movies to how they're going to deliver Lord of the Rings as a TV show. Like, there is, um, uh, Rosamund Pike does a narration of a little bit of exposition dump setting up some of the world in the beginning and it's very reminiscent of Kate Blanchett's doing um the the opening bit of I I can see it in the water blah 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 or whatever it is she says um they set it up pretty well and because this is a whirlwind story where characters just get whipped up into the story you are learning things as you go and it does generally use the Terminator 1 rule of thumb of if we're going to give exposition, we're going to do it while there's action going on. So it's interesting at the same time. So you do generally feel that pace going forwards. And it's those quieter moments where it is those more personal moments between two characters or three characters building that. That is refreshing to suddenly have this, this change of the action versus the, the drama side of it. So I don't think you need to know the book at all. I think you're the, you're probably yeah. right, though. It doesn't, doesn't fit into my uh, general stereotype yeah. what I like. But I'm curious, so I'm going to try mm. and watch an episode or two. Um, mm. For people who are curious about when we say this is um, – when you say it's long, if people don't like that it's long, they need to remember how fucking big the books were. Uh, yeah. And if you'd like a read on how big the books were and how many of them there are, Robert George's mm -hmm. Wheel of Time book series has 2,782 named characters. Mm-hmm fuck yep. off with all of that um and i thought i thought lord of the rings was bad trying to remember who everyone was <laughs> um you need a bloody flow chart that's the other thing that i think is going to as the story progresses as the seasons progress they are going to it's going to be interesting to see how they manipulate the story because there are books which do kind of go okay we're going to just ignore these characters because they're off doing something else and we'll have a separate story that runs tangentially to this other side so there could in theory be an entire season where we don't meet half of the party for a long time because there's two stories running at the same time 
or it could be jumping backwards and forwards a lot more depending on how they're going to do it. It could very well piss people off. Um, I am excited I, I feel to like see if, you, if, if you're buying into this, like, and I guess, I mean, I'm not a fan of fantasy, but I would say you, you, you need to have some, some patience here. This yes. isn't, this isn't, you know, uh, Digital Fortress by Dan Brown. You know, this is a, <laughs> you know, like four paragraphs and, you know, like you're done. This is, yeah. this is something, this is a deeply, in, incredibly complex world that they've mm-hmm. taken on here. And yeah. it, it takes an insane amount of skill to then translate those incredible, the uh, deep books into something that you can film. But, yes. like, and you, you certainly like wouldn't include everything that's in the books. Like, I go back mm. to, my Lord of the Rings loving friends back in the early 2000s who were pissed off. I can't believe they didn't put the Cimmerillion in. You know, um, <laughs> Ben Bombadil wasn't in it, you know. And like, oh. um, so they're going to leave stuff out, but at the same time, even if you're leaving stuff out, like it's going to be a long haul, right? It's, mm-hmm. You're going to need some patience to get on board with this thing. And like, absolutely. I, I think I think that's probably, t- I've even seen it and I know it would have to happen. I'm very like, unlikely to find this to be my mm. kind of show but you never know your luck mm. I, I think like that, the rings yeah i think that um for me i think this is gonna be a show that will either capture people or will not and it'll be like the first few seasons of the walking dead in many ways where we're learning the world as the characters kind of wake up into it and things like that and People who got pissed off and said, oh, they spent too much, too much time at the farm in um, Walking Dead. They might have the similar problem with this show because there are going to be situations where they are huge chunks of the story and huge chunks of books take place in the White Tower or in this particular n- little tiny nook of this world that is so full of everything. And it's like, oh, come on, just fucking show me more of the Ogiers and show me show me what, what the fuck are the Trollocs doing right now? And it could get impatient. You've got to, this is a show where it is very, very important that they get all of the character casting right and that the characters are firing on all their cylinders because as an audience member, if you are not fully invested, you need to be able to at least have that idea. Oh, at least I'm going to see Matt Cawthon soon because he's just going to come back at some point or whoever, whichever character you engage with. So it's going to be one that if you don't like it in the first, I'd say two episodes, no, you are not going to like it. Um, If you get through the first two episodes, I think it's worth potential considering investing your time into it because the story just develops and everything that happens in the story you kind of end up looking back later <coughs> on it's going oh fuck that had ramifications that had meaning what the fuck did that person do and it just builds on itself very very nicely but it is an investment of time you made a point like i mean we go back to the start of the year and the people who are out there going why is one division why is nothing happening it's boring the first three episodes mm. are boring and you're like what the fuck it's so fucking good mm-hmm. uh so people do get and, and you made a good point about that that season of walking dead you just really set up the next few to come yeah. after it and that was what made them so good people have got mm. no patience for a, a, a slow burn these days sometimes but then again yeah. it's on streaming it's on amazon uncle jeff mm-hmm. isn't short of cash yep um so i'm sure it'll get a fair run hopefully mm-hmm. for those of you who like fantasy things 
Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody wants their own Lord of um, everyone wants their own uh, Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're going back to the Game of Thrones well for House of Targaryen or whatever the hell it's called. Yay! Um, so hooray! There's at least for fans of high fantasy, you're going to have a lot of options because Witcher is they're now planning the witcher to be for seven seasons they've got this which is at least i think i think they've guaranteed three or four seasons and lord of the rings is guaranteed for at least three or four seasons we've got this a targaryen one it's it's a good time to be into it it's a bad time to be a science fiction fan though because there ain't a lot of that out there for us that is sadly true but Uh, don't worry they're gonna remake firefly I am curious to see the new Foundation series on Apple TV at some point. I have thoughts on that. I've watched the first two episodes. I'll go into it later on, not today, because there's only so much room in my head. <laughs> and I, haven't had, I, I have an episode or two sitting around somewhere. Um, mm. I'll try and get around to it, but um, I'm not sure it's going to be my kind of sci-fi. Um, um, I don't think it is. Just my, my um, we did mention Apple TV. Do you mind if I have a chat about a couple of Apple Please, TV products go for it, yeah. this week? Um, Where are we going? So, um, the morning show, or the I believe show. I've heard some people call it the morning wars. Um, that might be marketed under a couple of different names depending on where in the world you are. War sells um, in most places of the world. Yeah, I, I've, it's, well, I'm pretty sure it's the morning show, but I've heard people call it the morning wars. But anyway, um, it's, for those of you who are long-time listeners mm. uh, might remember we talked a little about this uh, last year, about the start of, um, the start of um, just about when the uh, unspecified virus of unknown origin sort of uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, turned up and has before it refused to leave and put its socks up on the coffee table. Um <laughs> So this is the, um, the, the about an inside look at the lives of people who help America wake up in the morning, exploring the unique challenges faced by the men and women who carry out this daily televised ritual. That's a very loose uh, look at the um, the plot. Uh, basically, it's about a morning show, one of the biggest morning shows in America, but sort of under in crisis for pretty much the entirety of the first two seasons of the show. Mm-hmm. It is star-studded to say the very, very least. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, stars Jennifer Aniston, uh, Reese Witherspoon, Billy Crudup, Mark Duplass, uh, Steve Carell, um, and those are just a, you, you'll probably recognize a few of the uh, other uh, smaller players in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, first season I really enjoyed, and basically that revolves around um, this is I think this is really the, the Me Too show, if you will. Um, okay. that we we have. A morning show with a very successful morning show hosted by you know a longtime host, beloved hosts um, Jennifer Anderson's Alex Levy and Steve Carell's Mitch Kessler. When it comes out, that Mitch Kessler is actually a sexual predator. Um, So I'm going to assume you've seen season one here. If you haven't, well, you're too bad. So sad. Um, (laughs) And he's outed, and that's kind of the arc of, of season one. He's being outed as a sexual predator. And uh, Reese Witherspoon's Bradley Jackson is kind of parachuted in as being this plucky young upstart of a morning host who's never really done anything. She should have come from the clouds, who is mm. a, a very random pick by um, Billy Crudup's Corey Allison, who plays the, the big wig uh, network executive with, uh, you know, a chip in his shoulder and a lot to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that's kind of the arc of the first season is, is, is Mitch Kessler's story about coming out and how it's dealt with. And it, and it sort of ends in tragedy where, where one of Mitch's victims ends up committing suicide. Um, season two um, had to, I believe, now do quote me, this is just what I've read, um, was written and locked and loaded and ready to go. And then the unspecified virus of unknown origin came along and that kind of changed. If you're going to tell a story about the news, Mm. You can't really ignore that. So I yeah. believe it was rewritten and, and maybe had a bit of time to do so because, you know, filming was delayed. Mm. Um, and season two kind of is, is sort of a two-track uh, storyline with the, un- the bubbling COVID storyline underneath it the whole time, while mm-hmm. on the surface they continue to deal with the, the fallout from the Mitch Kessler story and the fact that someone is now writing a book about that story and how that's going to impact um, you know, the host of a show and Alex mm. Levy and Jennifer Anderson's character. Um, and and it's sort of, I don't want to give anything too much away from there. It's also the launch of a new streaming service for the, the network that the show's on. Um, the second season, uh, I read an absolutely brutal review of this in the age this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think it was all as bad as the age said it was. And so a few people have actually really stuck the boots in a little bit on, on, uh, on the second season, mm-hmm. but I think they're mistaken because the second season, it's not as concise as the first one okay. and it doesn't quite land its punches quite as well as the first one. So when I say that is it sets up these little elements that are going on in the story. Here's an interesting little twist, an interesting little, you know, potential conundrum that pops up and mm-hmm. then they don't pay it off or okay. they don't pay it off very successfully or very satisfactorily um, or it just sort of gets blown away, brushed off, or they spend an entire episode doing dealing with something you're like, could you have done half an episode on this? Like, if you need a full, you know... Um, Couldn't this meeting have been an email? <laughs> in our episode, so for example, um, again, it's too much of a spoiler, but, but Steve Carell's character, Mitch Kessler, after mm. the com- becoming, you know, leaving the show in disgrace in season one, um, mm. basically he's moved to Italy in the second okay. season. And there's one episode where Alex Levy, uh, Jennifer Anderson's character, visits him in Italy. And that's basically the entire episode is them talking and, you know, working through their issues together or whatever you want to call it in in, in his mansion in Italy. Okay. Um, and you're like, Okay. Um, and it takes, or the other problem is that it'll take so long to, to pay it off. It's like, uh, guys, can we, could you be a little bit more punchy? Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm being a bit vague. I, I do want people to have a chance to see it. Um, mm. what I will say, one of the strong points for me was that undercurrent, the COVID undercurrent was sort of bubbling away under the surface the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's fascinating for me as well. And probably hopefully for the other viewers, because we all lived through that a year ago, year and a half ago or so, right? A couple of years ago now almost. Mm. And I don't know if you can remember what your head was doing in January, February 2020. I know. No. I, know I, I know. I went on a cruise over New Year's Eve 2019, 2020, which in hindsight was right. ill-advised, you know, um, probably <laughs> somewhere you didn't want to be when there was a, a novel new coronavirus. It was on a boat. <laughs> With about two thousand other people, um, and yet we, we didn't know. Um, so, survived, it's fine. 
you know, I got back just in time um, before that all um, sort of shut down the cruise industry. Um, and I remember I was looking for a job in the first couple of months of, of 2020. Mm. And, you know, I can remember being on the boat and seeing on the news, on the TV on, in my cabin, um, stories about China building, they were building like a new infectious diseases hospital. They did it in like three days or something crazy like that. <laughs> And there was so there was a bit of news kicking around about this new virus coming out of China, and you know yada yada yada. And you remember going every other fucking year was a new virus out of China. Remember bird flu, and then there was SARS, mm-hmm. and there was MERS. You know, yeah, it never really came anything of note in the West. You know, mm-hmm. um, it never really, and at least in Australia, it never really became massive problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember really paying it a whole lot of attention, and I remember not paying a whole lot of attention. I don't remember a lot of news from January and February about it i mean there was probably yeah. stuff there but i was probably filtering it out because remember we had the bushfires here yeah. as well and you know if it was if i was hearing it and seeing it i guess i just didn't pay it a great deal of attention yeah uh, it, it seemed to me from my memory uh from my experience that we kind of he could have hit march and then it sort of it just went to 11 straight away you know within about the first two weeks of march mm-hmm. you know they cancelled the grand prix here in melbourne and you know, we were being people were being sent home and in stuff like irony, that. yeah, they cancelled the Grand Prix and then it was off to the races. <laughs> so I'm sorry <laughs> I'm going on about this, but this is what I'm trying to. I think if you're like me and um, mm. the, the Michelle who I watched with, far more on the ball than me, far more on the ball. Mm. Apparently, I was watching going, oh yeah, I knew this was going to happen, um, but uh, not me. <laughs> so I kind of enjoyed that angle on the show. Is the fact that there's always little bits and bobs about COVID popping up on the news in the show, mm. uh, the morning show. And they'll, they'll be like, oh, we've got two stories today. We can talk about Donald Trump or we can talk about, you know, this new virus in China. And are like, oh, we'll talk about Trump. No one cares about that. Um, mm. And mm. I, I enjoyed that angle. And the payoff is what it is. Uh, <laughs> but that angle on the show is an interesting one for someone like, for, for all of us, I guess, who've lived through that recent history. Will you... I found it interesting to sort of watch people then going through the same process as I was a year and a half ago where we're like, yeah, there's this thing going on, but we're not really going to pay attention to that. Mm. Um, so it's okay uh, for most of the season. I'd say it's solid to good. Mm-hmm. The last episode, though, is a mess. Oh, really? It's it's just, it's like you kind of like, I think um, – uh, I ended up checking my phone quite a bit in the second half of the last episode. Okay, which I don't like to do if it's a show I enjoy. <laughs> so yeah. trust me, I wasn't I wasn't doing that much for most of the episodes, all of the episodes in season two until the last episode. I was just kind of bored and spaced out because it just didn't really. It sort of went nowhere. It's kind of like okay. kind of ran out of path and just fell over the fell over the um fell over the finish line. So I feel like the people getting it really harsh reviews of doing so because their last episode was terrible. And you mm. know, it's a bit like you're talking earlier with Game of Thrones. It leaves mm. that door. It leaves the house with a really bad season. Or really, you know, mm. And everyone's like, Game of Thrones. People forget how good and how popular and successful it was for the first however many seasons. It's just the last mm. one kind of shit the bed. Um, and then people, that's what, you, that's what you walk away with. Yeah. yeah. So if you like season one, Check out season two. If you get Apple TV with your phone, which I think I think people do get the Apple TV with an iPhone. They get um, a certain amount of time with iPhone. Uh, yep. He would, that would be one I would check out. Um, okay. We've got to uh, – I'll quickly cover one more before our mm. sponsor break. 
<gasps> Hopefully this week with sound. <laughs> um, uh, you know, nothing but the best for our audience. Sound, you want sound, you will have sound. Um, yeah, next week we'll introduce color. Um, <sighs> now you're talking craziness, my friend. I would have a quickly cover the Tom Hanks movie, Finch. Mm. He premiered about three or four weeks ago on, again, Apple TV Plus. Was it Apple TV or Apple TV Plus? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about. And this is the second yeah. Tom Hanks film to land on um, Apple TV uh, in the last Oh, there was a Greyhound was or something, right? Greyhound? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the war movie. Um, and I didn't see Greyhound, but I got the impression it was a bit mediocre. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also a deeply mediocre film. Um, okay. Finch, on a post-apocalyptic Earth, a robot built to protect the life of his creator's beloved dog learns about life, love, friendship, and what it means to be human. Okay. Uh, robot is played by Julia Roberts at the Bali and starts a yoga studio. It's just... <laughs> it's. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Um, Fuck you. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Um, uh, so, it was. I'll give you that. <laughs> it's um, as it sort of note, it's it's a post-apocalyptic Earth where, where the uh, ozone layer has been ravaged by a solar flare. Hence, you know, Earth UV radiation levels are almost unbearable for humans on the surface now. Tom Hanks mm. gets around in a space, almost a spacesuit, to be able to survive mm-hmm. walking around the surface. He gets around uh, with his dog in a camper van type thing and his existence is basically driving around and trying to scavenge things from you know the remnants of society you know canned food and such from supermarkets and that sort of thing uh he as it sort of the synopsis notes creates a a robot um Mm -hmm. to protect his dog when he's not around the Mm -hmm. robot is played by the caleb landry jones who we talked about last week who was in the atrium and again this guy is going places i think i mean obviously he plays a robot in this so it's motion capture mm-hmm. um but he voices the robot as well and it's f- phenomenal okay um the robot ends up giving itself a name the, name, the robot's name is jeff um right and he also has a small sort of dog like robot for for a scavenging he calls dewey um which is a nod i believe to silent runnings uh <laughs> why is this film mediocre Mm. This film is a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. Uh, I liked it a lot better when it was called Wally. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say this has the Wally sniff. Had a very strong Wally influence, and I liked it when it was called Chappie. And mm-hmm. I also enjoyed it when it was called Silent Runnings. Um, so <laughs> this is a film. That, this is deeply unoriginal filmmaking in the sense it rips lots of stuff from different places around the place uh, to mm. sort of inspire its universe and its characters. Um, and it's not anywhere near as successful as any of those films. And I know a lot of people will look at that and go, you're calling Chappie successful? Fuck, yes, I am. I liked it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know That's nobody else. enough reason. I like Neil Blomkamp. I know no one else does. Uh, yeah. Apart from everyone likes District 9, but no one likes anything else he's done. I like Elysium as well. Um, so... The first half of a film or so, probably the first two-thirds of it almost, you're kind of like, okay, this isn't very original, but mm-hmm. it's charming. Uh, Tom Hanks mm-hmm. is, plays Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, likeable 
uh, benevolent. You know, he has his rules about mm-hmm. when he's scavenging. He's like, oh, I won't cause unnecessary damage to other people's property. And I'm like, mate, I don't think they're using it anymore. They're fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he's like, leaves things the way they are. It's this very ethical sort of approach to, you know, scavenging the apocalypse. Um, that would be an interesting playthrough on Fallout, wouldn't it? Um, leave things as they are and be an ethical person. Um, <laughs> wouldn't be much fun. Um, it would be really weird. You know, uh, if anyone from Bethesda is listening, we're available. Um, <laughs> for large sums of money, of course. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. But it's kind of charming and, like, Caleb Landry Jones' Jeff is really fun and entertaining and funny to be around mm-hmm. and the chemistry. If you can say chemistry between a CGI robot, uh, Tom Hanks and their dog, it's there and it's fun and it's entertaining. Uh, like the dog, he's supposed to be the caretaker of the dog. The dog hates him. Wolf said he won't go near him. Um, you know, uh, Jeff trying to, you know, there's also a bit of Johnny Five in here. If you think about, um, uh, what was that film? The, the, oh, uh, that was Short Circuit. Short, short Circuit, yeah. Uh, they're remaking that, by the way. Uh, oh, shut <laughs> up, Hollywood. Stop it. So, um, but it's it's really kind of heartwarming and kind of fun and kind of charming with those kind of characters. You sort of, and if you're like me, and I love, I love post-apocalyptic films. I love the Fallout games. Mm-hmm. I love zombie movies. The, the apocalypse is my jam. Um, <laughs> and it's the simple of, reason is because there's fewer people in it. <laughs> well, there's always that, you know, and like, you know. <laughs> Life can be kind of miserable, and you know, at least if it's an apocalypse, you have a reason to be miserable. Um, <laughs> this makes things a lot simpler in a lot of ways, um, you know, and you don't have to worry about Twitter and fucking Nazis in the city anymore, hopefully. Um, but uh, so I enjoyed the, the apocalyptic setting, um, that was entertaining, and the way they where it looked, and it looks like a million bucks. This film, it really looks great. The art design mm-hmm. and set, um, set design is brilliant. Um, so you're kind of going, okay, I'm with this, and it's like the, the, teaching Jeff how to be, you know, more human, if you will. Um, mm. there's some fairly limited action scenes, but as it sort of gets along, it gets it and it just sort of limps into the third act, and it just sort of goes, <sighs> There's your story, you know, okay. could you please feel things now for the characters? Here are the characters, mm. feel things for them. Uh, and it just got really lazy for me in in the third act, and you start to realise okay. that any of the really big sort of confronting situations that you've been warned about. Oh no, there's radiation. Oh no, there's tornadoes. Oh no, there's other humans and raiders. And you're like, they just sort of melt away, and they don't actually have any real relevance or impact on the story. They're not really the danger, but they were made out to be. But it's like they were there while the story needed to be there, and then they went away. Mm, mm. Um. So I don't want to give away too many more spoilers about exactly why it limps into that sort of manipulative, emotional dreck that the last third of the film is, because mm. you might enjoy it. Um, but I found it really, really not um, really disappointing and kind of I got very bored very fast uh, in the third okay. act. And it's like, oh, disappointing. I was kind of looking and going, this isn't so bad. Why are people saying it sucks? And I'm like, oh, OK, that's why it sucks. Um, so look, it's probably, it's probably good for the kids, really, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's not a lot of that. It's not a lot of violence or death in it. Um, there's not anything particularly gruesome or everybody on earth's dead apart from Tom Hanks and his dog, but you know, um, 
you don't see any real uh, sign of that in uh, in the world. So you could definitely show it to the kids. And maybe they'd enjoy it a little bit more. Okay. The dog's cute. The robot's cute. Cannibal Andrew Jones is an amazing actor. But mm-hmm. it doesn't really ever coalesce into anything I would consider being, you know, memorable. Mm. Now, I just want to just confirm something here. I'm looking at um, uh, Finch on IMDb and it's saying more like this. Movie suggestions that are more like Finch. Are these accurate, do you think? Red Notice with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. James Bond, No Time to Die. Army of Thieves. Legend of Shang-Chi. Free Guy. Dangerous. John Wick 2. Dune. Benjamin Button. Suicide Squad. Jungle Cruiser. Any of those sounding remotely similar to this? Because I don't have that feeling no i mean you know there's not a lot of kung fu or zombies in this mm. film and uh no mm. one's wearing a tuxedo though tom hanks doesn't wear a suit at one point so you <gasps> know james Scandalous tom hanks next james bond confirmed um, <laughs> don't put that shit out there it could happen uh it could be similar to army of thieves in the sense that it kind of blows um I can <laughs> That's a sequel, sorry. I haven't seen the sequel. You I'm thinking don't of Army, yeah. Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead. That one sucked. Um, <laughs> but, um, yes, yeah, so I, I think there's something wrong with its algorithm. I guess the only reason... I, I'm wondering why it says that. It's probably because these are the film. There aren't many films that people... New films that people can watch at the moment. Yeah. And these yeah. are kind yeah. of like everything new, uh, except for John Wick 2, because that came out ages ago. Yes, um, it did. But every apart from that, it kind of a whole bunch and Benjamin Button, a whole bunch mm-hmm. of like new stuff that people have been able to watch on streaming fairly recently. Yeah. But you can't All watch right. No Turn to Die on streaming. I think it's still in cinemas. That is um, still cinemas only. I um yes. I don't know. Uh I, I'll have a word to the guys down at Amazon if you like. You you better you know they listen to me. You know sorry, I think Amazon owned INDB now, so that's why I'm saying Amazon. Yeah, and um, you know that Jeff Bezos listens to us while he's just sitting on a toilet made of pure money. On a penis rocket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a, it's a, yes, Uncle Jeff. Um, mm-hmm. you, you ever wonder about someone like that and go, why do you still work? you got more money than God. Why, why would you work? Like, I don't know, I think he did just get out of Amazon fairly recently, but like, yeah, I don't I know I if his day-to-day routine would, for most people, would be considered work. I think th- at, at the point that he is financially, just going into a room and just going, you know what would be good? And just throwing out this random idea and then going back to his office for 10 minutes and sitting there and going, yeah, I contributed today. Cool. All right. Yeah. I'm going to go and I'm going to um. snort a line of $100 bills. <laughs> off my favorite senator's butt yes. um, is it time for our i think it's time for our start talking about spawn uh start talking about um snorting things for off things um because <laughs> that comes up in part two of the show our sponsors this week are the 70s the 70s, 1970s. Okay, so incredibly relevant, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you remember those online gift codes that they will lead out as well. 
Okay. I think I got sound this week, so. <gasps> Goodness me. Okay. We can't predict how cars will look in the 1980s, but it's a safe bet they'll be safer, better handling, and more economical, and that they'll demand a tyre that's safer, better handling, and a tyre that offers greater mileage. That tyre is here now. The new generation Steel Cat. Uniroyal's all-new Steel Cat 280. This is the tyre the 1980s a safer place. Already. nature's storage expert. Its honeycomb cells are hexagonal, the most efficient shape for storing in the hive. You see, it's not always how much space you've got that matters. It's how you use it. This principle has helped make Dexion the leading supplier of warehouse storage systems in Australia. Talk with Dexion. By storing more efficiently, we believe you can make more honey too. Dexion. Joyce Main's doing it again, but this time she really means business because the Sharp Corporation will pay for this commercial when Joyce has sold $1 million worth of Sharp stock and Joyce is keeping her fingers and everything else crossed. Joyce, how are you going to sell $1 million worth of Sharp products? Well, hopefully, Harry, that's going to be easy by offering my customers my best possible prices. And here are a few examples. Touch tune, 33 centimeter Sharp color TV, suggested price $529, Joyce's price $399, a difference of $130. Dolby Stereo Cassette Deck with Sharp's automatic program search system was $229, now $179, save $50. But Joyce, what about all these microwave ovens? I'll just have to clear them out regardless. How much is this one, Joyce? These are my AMS demonstration models, Harry. My new price was $297. My demo price, $199. That's a saving of $98. Why buy elsewhere when you could be paying too much? Joyce Main, 113 Parramatta Road, Auburn. Somewhere in the world, a plot's revealed, a man resigns, a nation reels. Somewhere in the world, a story breaks for the Australian. Somewhere in the world, a deal is made, a star is born, a match is played. Somewhere in the world, a story grows for the Australian. The Australian, the Australian. Welcome to the night to bring you the world. Oh, look at this, ladies and gentlemen. Look at this, ladies and gentlemen. Datsun Stanza, the sporty 1600, with all those famous Datsun features. Style, economy, rally-bred reliability. It's true, it is a stylish box. 
Real value from $5,499 now. But there, there you go, go ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my first car was Datsun. Okay. They're quality, I know what quality, that is. A quality vehicle. <laughs> quality vehicle for Datsun. I, I put that car through hell and it, it stayed together. You're not that bad of a driver. Oh, uh, when I was 19, <laughs> I was. Hey, I just suddenly had the image of you driving the Datsun with the beret. Uh, the beret was a, an addition of a number of years after that. Um, uh, I, I, I don't think I had the beret at that. I'm certain I didn't have a beret at that time, but I had <laughs> definitely subpar driving skills. Um, <laughs> it, it, was, uh, it was a solid vehicle and it got me around. Well, that's all you need from the car, honestly. Now, let's get on with the rest of our show, shall we? Let's. Should we talk about our chain movie? Let's do that. So we're coming in a bit late this week, but um, mm. I kind of want to sort of... We, we had to mix things up. Um, actually, before we go into our chain movie, I just have a few words on Last Night in Soho. Oh, yes. This is the new Edgar Wright film. Yeah. Um, so I got to see this at the cinema, which is always the best place to watch an Edgar Wright production because he has got very good visuals in every single one of his movies. So I'm going to do this right. I'm going to do this right. I'm going to actually tell you what the synopsis is for Last Night in Soho. So Last Night in Soho... Ooh, Okay, just got to rate it first. Um, an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. But the glamour is not all it appears to be and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. This is... I would say this is a fairly ensemble piece because it's got a... It's got some legends of the screen in there, as well as some legends in the making, I feel. Um, the main character, Eloise, is played by Thomasin McKenzie, who most people probably won't really know. She's not done too much. She was in um, Jojo Rabbit, though. Yes, she was in Jojo Rabbit, which has probably been her biggest thing to date, certainly for getting a name out there. She was also in M. Night Shyamalan's Old, but that didn't seem to do very well. So I don't know how many people actually saw that. Um, she was also in The King for Netflix with uh, Timothy Chalamet, which I actually enjoyed, and she was good in that too. But the big stars in it, we've got Anya Taylor-Joy, who plays Sandy, and she is, for lack of a de better descriptor, when Eloise um, transports back to the 60s, she is following the life of Sandy. Um, you've got Matt Smith. Um, famous for being Doctor Who as well as in The Crown. Um, he plays the character Jack. Uh, Diana Rigg is in this as Miss Collins. She the, of the Avengers. Yes, she of the Avengers. And she looked fabulous in that, even though it was a god-awful um, show. <laughs> um, wait, wait, we're, talking, we're not talking about Marvel's Avengers. This is a uh, no. British TV show from the, uh, TV, the yes. 60s. And this is why when the Avengers were released in the UK... It mm -hmm. wasn't called the Avengers, it was called Avengers Assemble. Mm -hmm. And she was, most people will probably know her modern time from she was uh, Lady Tyrell in Game of Thrones. Um, but uh, she is a genuine icon of cinema. Um, or was. Have, yes. Oh, wait, is she dead? She died last year. 
Oh, fuck, no. Oh, god damn it. That's sad, but she was phenomenal. She was a, a true steward. The other big, big name is Terence motherfucking Stamp. Terrence General Stamp. Zod himself. General Zod himself, yes. And um, then it's they've built up a rather nice little collection of people that I've never seen perform before as the um, fellow students that surround Eloise as she is at London Fashion Academy. Um. So is this a good movie? It is really, really hard to say, honestly. This is easily the most serious and out-of-left-field movie that Edgar Wright has made to date, considering his Cornetto trilogy of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World Ends, and then um, Scott Pilgrim, and then his... Um, misadventures into Marvel's uh, Ant-Man and then going on to Baby Driver. They've all had this level of comedic charm to them. This is definitely more of a drama, horror, thriller, suspense, mystery. There is, in all honesty, there's no brevity in this thing because it it wears its uh, maudlin on its sleeve, I guess. Um, and... I feel like that's I feel like that's part of the problem that I have with kind of reviewing this movie because it is genuinely stunning. It is beautiful the way that he mixes um the different he, he, it's almost like he f uses two entirely different film techniques for the 60s versus the present day and it works really well to help isolate and identify which era you're in beyond the obvious things of the cars, the set dressing and things like that. You just the way that he uses color, particularly the reds and the blacks in the 1960s is really um is really intoxicating, which is part of what is the allure of the 1960s, particularly for Eloise, who's a young student who is fascinated by the 60s. Um, the problem the major problem I have with this is it telegraphs every single one of its punches far, far, far too soon. There is not a single person that will be able to get through this movie and go, I never saw that coming. Because every twist and turn is painfully obvious from the go from the get-go. And it's really disappointing. Um, I feel like this is definitely ends up being more of a style of a substance movie for Edgar Wright. While I don't think it is a flop in any regard because every performer is great in it. Um, I just think that the story is the lacking element here, which is a shame because Edgar Wright knows how to keep a good tight pace. And that is somewhat lacking in this. He has generally controlled his movies better, I guess. So it's a shame. I'd love to get your opinion on this, Trev, because I think that you would either really like it or really feel disconnected from it. Well, I, I'm definitely going to see it because mm. it's Edgar Wright and he's earned a watch. Mm. Yeah, Just on 100%. the side, apparently he's down to direct a remake of A Running Man next, which is going to be fascinating. Um, what okay. an odd choice. Yeah. Um, Although, hot take for casting, Simon Pegg as Killian. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Matt Smith as... Um, <laughs> Um, but Arnold Schwarzenegger's character because he's very well, British, Edgar Wright, sort of you know, 
A cup of tea. <laughs> um, it would be kind of fitting, though, the Terminator connection, because Matt Smith was very briefly in Terminator Salvation. Genesis. Um, no, Terminator Genesis, yes, but uh, that got nixed because that didn't spawn any other movies, and Arnie was in Terminator, so who knows? We could see it. It's very a connect- interesting. Yeah. It maybe maybe Drew Matt Carey Smith's could be the game attempt. show. They actually oh. got a real game show host, you know? Oh, my God. That, was, that would be kind of brilliant. <laughs> We'll see what happens. I'm skeptical because mm. the original is a masterpiece mm. of mm-hmm. action. But anyway, I will see. Uh, I am curious mm. to see next um, uh, last night in Soho, and I should really get around mm. to it considering um, I live a five minutes walk from the um, mm-hmm. the cinemas here. Um, um, now that we're actually allowed to go back to the cinema with no restrictions, mm. I think. Yeah. But I think part of the problems with with this movie and the story is the high profile casting of, of of particular characters. It's like okay, you don't get that character in unless you're doing something specific. And obviously, there is my superpower of being able to ruin movies for myself. But I think that this is just too obvious with everything, and it's like okay. Yeah, they said that line, which I've heard that line in many other movies, and it means this, so that's probably going to happen, and she is obviously going to be this and that, and blah, 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 blah. And there's a whole, like, the, the opening sequence is really beautiful, because it is Thomasine McKenzie just got some wireless headphones on, and she's just absolutely loving this this 60s music and the, the music in the 60s is really wonderful and very quintessential you it it doesn't the type of music that was played in the 60s just doesn't fit anywhere else in music history it's wonderfully unique um and she's she's wearing this dress that she made out of newspapers and things like that and it looks cool and she's just totally in the zone and then she sees this reflection in the mirror of her mother and you learn very quickly that her mother is dead and you get suggestions that she sees her mum from time to time, whether it's some kind of mental illness, it's never uh, highlighted or explained, but there's just that little element. And that every now and then just comes back and you kind of feel like, okay, they're, they're still keeping me, they're still reminding me gently of, oh, remember, this is a story element. But it doesn't go anywhere. That's disappointing. And yeah. And it's sort of like, okay, well, honestly, what was the point of that? It doesn't doesn't explain what's happening to Eloise. It doesn't feed into the story directly. There's nothing, there's no kind of emotional connection or closure for the character of Eloise and her mum, which ties into the love of the 60s or anything like that. It's like, okay. That ends up just being wasted. And while it's nice to give this semi-human moment to Eloise, she is put through the ringer. This is quite a horror movie. And in typical horror movie fashion, the female lead is put through hell. It's it's part of, it's the trope of the genre. And she comes out better at the end. There's no surprise there. It's not a surprising ending. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you would, I think you would try to shoot for something a bit more deep and meaningful here, but did you run out of time or what? I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel complete. And it's 
particularly, I guess I'm being particularly skeptical about it and critical about it because it's Edgar Wright, because he has made well, he set the bar himself. pretty high. He hasn't really yeah. directed a, a flop to date. I mean, I uh, know Scott Pilgrim didn't make money, but mm. that is a, 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 a genius film. But everybody mm. who, you know, his intended audience loved that film. Yes, exactly. He um, knows, he always shoots for, he knows what audience he's going for. And he nails it every time. This doesn't. Okay, Which that's is hardcore. Shame. Yeah, it's, I, a, well, it's a shame. I, I will have to check it out, and um, mm. and we'll see if uh, it's uh, your superpowers betrayed you again. <laughs> they they always do. <laughs> they always do. I've I've just grown to accept it now. <laughs> Well, maybe um, yeah, we can stop making such such predictable films. Should we move on to the chain movie then? Let's movie move on to chain movie. Yeah, because we, we're talking about a classic this week, ladies and gentlemen. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay, we we, we followed Donald Sutherland here for of course yes. some ordinary people, which we we did a pretty decent job of talking about that, considering we mm. watched it two months earlier. Uh, this one <laughs> I watched <laughs> this week, uh, and I've seen this one a number of times. This is, of course, based on a remake of an earlier film from the 50s, and it's based on the Jack Finney novel The Body Snatchers. Uh, and uh, it's it's an unusual one in the sense that the original invasion of Body Snatchers from 1956 mm. um, is generally considered uh, something of a classic as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when you remake a classic, you know, odds are you're going to fuck it up. Um, but yep. they haven't done it here. So this is one of the, probably one of the greatest remakes of all time, one could argue, because it's mm -hmm. actually incredibly well done. Uh, let's not mention the 2007 Nicole Kidman version, because it sucked diddly yep. up. Mm -hmm. When strange seeds drift to Earth from space, mysterious pods begin to grow and invade San Francisco, California, where they replicate the residents into emotionless automatons, one body at a time. Mm. This is directed by Philip Kaufman who mm -hmm. probably isn't a very particularly well-known name, but he probably should be. Maybe mm -hmm. a little bit better known as a writer in some mm -hmm. some spheres. He uh, wrote a little film called uh, Indiana Jones uh, and the uh, Raiders of a Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. little film, you may not have heard it. Uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales, The Wanderers, which are two very, very well-known <sighs> westerns, the, the Right yeah. Stuff. Then yeah. a very, very well-known um, film from the 80s. I think he also directed The Right Stuff and The Wanderers. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, he directed this. So probably um, he, um, that in, in, in Jones' character, that might have some legs. I don't know what you think. Um, no, I think they're just going to tap out at three. I think three. that's probably why. I, I think three like... is, all, is, in, is all in the F7. You've seen the first one. <laughs> um, now, this I, I want to straight away call out the beginning of this movie. Mm. because this is visual storytelling at its fucking best because there's no monologue explaining aliens were looking at our world with envious eyes blah, yeah, blah, there's blah, no blah. Orson Welles voiceover there's no Marlon yeah. Brando you know yeah it is just bacteria and movement and it just looks alien it looks fucking awesome it looks scary it looks like you don't want to fucking touch that shit and then you just it just through these visuals of just showing this close movement of microorganisms and tendrils moving and things like that and then it cuts to space and then it cuts to rain and you just instinctively know oh fuck it's been transported into here and then it cut 
And then the visuals of seeing it just kind of leach out across all the leaves of the plants and things and start replicating things. This is fucking phenomenal for when this movie was made. This movie was I made mean, in 1978. It looks like a doc. It's almost like a nature documentary. Yeah. In the first five ten minutes, where it's just focusing on this goo in the ground and being in the rain, mm. and you can see it uh, sort of hanging off plants, and then yeah. you know it's sort of spawning flowers and stuff, and the spawning of the um. So these are the space seeds that land on Earth. Mm. The first scene where they're in space, floating around, it that scene shows its age a little bit in a sense. They look kind of like. That's you know, um, something from the original Star Trek or Doctor Who, uh, like someone's <laughs> filled up filled up condoms with like helium and just going, Whoa, you know, um, <laughs> um, that could have been what they were, you know, um, kind of look like that. But once they land hey, on don't Earth, don't ruin right. the magic. <laughs> um, once they land on Earth, and you sort of have this almost nature documentary. Mm. Again, no voiceover, no mm. no dialogue at all, just telling you, just your eyes telling you what's going on. Mm. That was beautifully done. The, the flowers, mm. the um, space seeds spawn on the plants that they land on, mm. uh, they look incredible. Yeah. Like, uh, I can only imagine sitting there watching it a couple of times going, how did they do that? It was stop motion yeah. is what I'm thinking. Probably stop motion. Because that's kind of, they didn't have CGI. And, well, no, this film doesn't, it didn't look like CGI. That wasn't CGI. No, I mean they had no. some CGI in '78, but that wasn't it. Um, yeah. So I can only imagine it was stop motion, and it was gorgeous stop motion. Like yeah. it was flawless. Like none of that mm. jerkiness you sort of associate with that kind of filming technique. Um, mm. And you're, you're right; it was it really sets the scene well. Um, it sets you instantly to not trust what's happening because it it takes ages, ages before we actually even get to genuinely meet any of the characters. Like we have um, Elizabeth Driscoll's character come in, but we only ever see her from the back and she just picks this plant and then she, she's just going about a date. You never really get a shot of her face or anything. She never really, she doesn't really talk of anything meaningful. She gets home and she has this very disconnected connect um, interaction with her husband, her boyfriend. It's, it's brilliant use of just letting the visuals talk and you just feel this kind of dread. And then the conversation, the the camera is in a corridor with like, you see a reflection, reflections of what's happening in the bedroom and just her. So like going, see, uh, just explaining about the plant and how it's already growing tendrils and stuff. And it's like, yeah, I don't trust that fucking thing. Nothing should grow that fucking fast. It's, everything just adds a little bit more every time it's, wonderful you know it well you don't trust anything and i think that brings us to the real the theme of this film and the, mm. the most operative word i kept thinking all throughout the film is paranoia mm. um it's interesting that the original film which i'm vaguely familiar with i saw it a long time ago when i was in uni mm. is is essentially an allegory it's a very allegorical film for communism it's generally about, you know, the fifth, the fifth column of, you know, they, they walk amongst us, you know, automaton <laughs> communists who, you know, um, taking over, silently taking over the, taking over the, uh, the world. Um, you know, it, it was, it was filmed in 56 under the, um, the, uh, the atmosphere of McCarthyism, you know, mm. uh, um, that sort of thing, the House on American Activities Committee. committee. Um, and, and that's, and it did that very, very well. And that's probably why it's considered a classic. That allegory, allegory here is less direct if you will it's mm. not sort of going again pointing the finger at something as obvious as say communism here but 
again, I think you have to remember the time in which this film was made because mm -hmm. I think that's important. This film mm -hmm. was made in 1978. Mm -hmm. So if we just stop for a second and think about what was going on in the world in 1978, we've now come to the end of the Vietnam War a couple of years earlier. We've mm -hmm. now been through Watergate mm -hmm. a couple of years earlier, 75, I want to say, um, mm -hmm. or 74. Anyway, so we have Watergate, we have Vietnam. We are in a deeply mistrustful time, especially mm -hmm. well in the United States where this film was made. Um and it's interesting that we're in a very distrustful time now as well. Um, mm. Deeply mistrustful time, but in a very different kind of paranoia these days. It's kind of like paranoia in the 70s was based on the shit that actually happened. Um, <laughs> whereas paranoia now is based on, you know... Uh, I heard someone Joe say Biden this and they keeping, were telling me about it on the toilet. Joe Biden is keeping children in tunnels under the pizza restaurants, you know. Um, and standard. You know, JFK is coming back from the dead this week. Uh, that's not bullshit, by the way. That actually happened. Go and check it out. I'll be queuing on fuckwits. We went to Dallas the other week to, to wait for John Kennedy and John Kennedy Jr. to come back from the dead and do stuff, I guess. Um, but it's I'm off topic. It's, that's really happened. Um, but it's interesting that this is the kind of film that came out of the 70s in the late mm. films like this or the I'm thinking The French Connection, mm. um, yeah, All the President's Men. Um, the that Condor film, Redfield was in. I can't remember the name. David Condor. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, David Condor. Um, and there was a, an element, uh, or the Deer Hunter, uh, the Michael mm. Kaminsky film. You know, there was that that vibe of paranoia and mistrust of authority that kind of under rather wrote so many of these films. And I think it's writ large in this film. This film is mm -hmm. all about paranoia because you can't trust anything. You can't believe your eyes. You can't trust. I mean, it's almost like um, make a fascinating combination piece with the thing, mm. because you can't trust that anybody is who they say they are. Yeah. Um, and those wonderful scenes that keep popping up in the film. You mentioned earlier the uh, character um, of um, what's her name, uh, Elizabeth, mm. who her husband is one of the first people who is taken over or replicated mm. by the uh, by the pods. Mm -hmm. And she's one of the first people who goes, that's not my husband. Mm. And then we can encounter other characters in the film going, my husband isn't my husband. My wife isn't my wife anymore. It's somebody mm. different. They're not themselves. Um, and I think that's a, um, a, a really effective technique because um, if you've ever been in a situation uh, where you thought you knew somebody and mm. it, you know, it turns out they're not who they say they are or mm almost overnight, if you can think about somebody you've known for a year, long enough to be married to them and they like that, all of a sudden overnight turn into somebody different, that's enough to kind of fuck with your head a little bit and go, hmm, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. And I think the filming, the filming techniques as well, it's beautifully shot but in a very mm -hmm. unusual way. Yeah, it's it's almost like there was a lot of it that kind of reminded me of um, almost like Bullet in the way that it was – kind of shot a little bit documentary and it was just really showing this rough side of um san francisco um and i don't know whenever i think of san francisco i, I i've been there and it's this bright beautiful very open friendly lively city and then i i think about this movie and i think about um uh bullet i was just talking about and it shows a very different 
character and face of that city and it does it so well that again it just kind of puts puts me off kilter for for the whole thing like i just don't trust going down that corridor i just don't trust going going everywhere it uses the city to really elevate the city becomes a villain in a way um almost Mm. like if um in a different way but if you think of a film like dark city the uh, Mm. the alex corius film where the city Mm. is a character in of itself um Mm. i must say uh any you haven't been to san francisco lately have you um not recently no (laughs) he's gonna say it's it's not bright or friendly anymore um it (laughs) smells and there's Lots of very, very poor, sketchy-looking people all over the place. <laughs> friend of a show, Patria, was quite happy to walk through the homeless encampment to get where we wanted to go because, of course, she was. She was fearless. Uh, that was a couple of years ago, though. But um, hmm. no, you, you were right. There's something about I, – I can't <coughs> excuse me, put my finger on exactly what it is about the way it's shot and the way hmm. he, he Kaufman chooses to, to frame his scenes in the city. But there hmm. is – and a palpable dread throughout the city at all times. Or I think of a scene where they're driving through the street and have a crazy man run out and bang on their window, go, they're coming, it's not, Mm. you know, whatever. And then he runs around the corner and gets hit by a car. Mm. Excuse me. Um, And he says, um, Donald Sutherland's character sort of says, oh, the police, sees the police go around the corner, they'll help him. And then they turn the corner and everybody's just standing there watching. Mm. Deeply, deeply unsettling. Mm. Um, what did you make of um? What did you make of Leonard Nimoy in this? What an odd, odd character to see turn up. It was. He was really good in it. I really liked his portrayal of the character, but at the same time, his character is persistently antagonistic, even before turns in in the character role he's just you i he's he's immediately someone who you just don't want to trust because you know he the the first conversation you hear me he's basically talking a woman around and saying no it's not your husband it's you you're clearly the one having problems let's talk let's talk this out it's okay you'll get over this and that's always what he's saying so like oh good night's rest and she'll be fine and blah 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 and he's just always to me, I always just look at him and look at his character and I just think, oh, fuck you. Fuck you. Why Why are you getting so much respect from Donald Sutherland? Why? <laughs> and why do people really approve of what you're saying and doing here? Because you're, oh, God. You're... Do, you think, do you think maybe the film is saying something about some of the ideas of the time? So if we think of, um, again, I wasn't alive. Well, I was alive in 1978, but I wasn't in San Francisco and I sure as hell wasn't friends with a uh, famous, uh, wasn't up with what was popular in the, in the zeitgeist at the time. You'll think you were too cool I, for it. I was one. Um, <laughs> uh, Geelong wasn't exactly the centre of, you know, a, a bustling movement at the time. Um, but he almost <laughs> Never stri- will stri- strikes me as... The seventies and eighties were kind of famous in, in you know, um, for a, uh, a a psychological or a cult kind of movement or a self improvement movements. If you think about mm. it, you know, people go to these big, join big cults and sort of the cult of self improvement. You know, the I'm okay, you're okay generation. Yeah. Um, and I kind of wonder if this is the director and the writer, the writer and director, sort of saying, "Well, look how respected this guy is in in the, in by the characters in the film." And, and this woman, he's we meet him talking to. 
she knows she's not right. She knows things aren't right. But mm. she puts all her faith in in the things that this, you know, uh, borderline charlatan psychologist is telling her. Mm. Because, you know, of the faith that she puts in, you know, the his ideas and, you know, the idea of psychology being a science and mm. fairly young. And it says the person who's studying psychology. Um, <laughs> um, but I think there were some pretty, I don't think anybody who can study psych can, can, can steer away from some of the ugly things that the, the science has been behind or had its name attached mm. to. And so I'm just wondering if maybe that was what they were trying to get at there in the sense that, you know, people put so much faith and, you know, uh, mm. belief in, this movement the yeah, the i'm okay you're okay the est est was the name of the movement uh, i don't know if you um you never really watched the americans did you no um there's uh some of the characters in the americans attend est classes um and mm. it was this big you know self-help movement uh and then maybe it's it's a way of being critical because Lennon Nimoy is kind of a bit of a red herring in this, in a sense, if he, mm -hmm. he's the person who kind of steers them towards thank you rather than away of it mm. largely born of his arrogance yeah yeah it's very true and the the thing that with his character that does somewhat irk me is never get a real sense of or i excuse me i kind of finished up and thought wait when did he get duplicated I think it's kind of a fun part of this film you're not really sure mm. when everyone's duplicated right they just suddenly mm. turn up one day and they uh they're wearing a suit because apparently that means you're an alien. <laughs> so buy one of our merch, ladies and, and, and gentlemen. And no one will think you're an alien because aliens wouldn't dress like this. Mm -hmm. uh, um, <laughs> uh, I enjoyed um, seeing a very young Jeff Goldblum in this. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Goldblooming his very best Goldblum in this. Like, it's, mm -hmm. most you think he's he's the, the Goldblum act is a new thing. Nope. No, it's been around for 40 plus years. You know, he, he was gold blooming hard in this film. And Veronica Cartwright, um, mm. wonderful in this film. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of took me a minute to go, ah, she was an alien. That's why I know who she is. And I wonder if this is the scream in this film is what it got hired for, for Alien the next year. Well, yeah, I, because I, I, cause I watched this after watching Alien and. I just found it. I, I always just assume it, it's automatic, um, kind of kind of reverse psychology for me because she was so fucking annoying and loud and emotional in Alien, and seeing her be the one who kind of works out. Ah, you just fake it, and you pretend you don't know anything, and you can get around it. It's for for me just personally. It's always entertaining just to kind of go. That's really funny to see this character being the one who is emotionless. <laughs> I, um, I, one of the things I really enjoyed about this film, um, apart from the highfalutin stuff which we've been talking about so far, the idea of paranoia, I enjoyed the paranoid mm. feeling of the film very much. Mm -hmm. But how often do you see any kind of, well, say a science fiction drama, a science fiction thriller, mm. where the protagonist is a guy who works for the health department and looks like Donald Sutherland. And Donald Sutherland looks like someone who works for the health department in 1978. You know, yeah. he's not a former Marine or Navy SEAL, you know, working as a cook <laughs> or anything like that. Um, I'm just a cook. Um, he looks like a dude who works in a lab all day, right? And he is the protagonist of a film. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I would also equal that by saying 
the romance that develops over some or is you know it sheds its skin like like an onion um like a parfait between yeah it's parfaits are delicious um it's it's really well done because it's not over there's not those musical interludes just suggesting it it's it's not kind of spoon-fed to us um like it would be in a modern movie this is again just organically just letting the story tell us and letting the story show us their bond developing over time it is it's an interesting love story and i'll go back mm. to the love story mm. love story in the commentary in shang chi we talked about last week which mm. was fairly subtle for mm. a modern film i mean it's probably not as subtle as this but you know we didn't have you know them you know if this were, if, if shang chi had been made in the 90s there would 100 percent have been a hot sex scene at some point in the film yeah 100 yep. um pans the rice and then it's a, a burning fire Maybe the shower scene where we see Shang Chi's, you know, just the hand, light, you know, or something like that. <laughs> um, but it, it um, in in this film, as you sort of say, you got a sense from Donald Sutherland early on. He, or his character Matthew has a longing for Elizabeth mm. very early in the film, despite the fact she's she married. I think she's married to um, the the guy who <laughs> I forget his character's the actually her husband. I forget uh, her Dr. husband's name. Uh, Jeffrey Howell. How? Do we know if he's a? We don't know if it's a husband, or we're not really quite sure. But we, mm. um, it's not necessarily explained. But she's not available. Mm. But you kind of sense a bit of longing from mm. from from Matthew early in the film, and that sort of builds as you know that relationship. As you know, they sort of grow closer through this intense situation. Mm. Um, I, I, I was like, for you, it would have been it would have been done very very differently today, and and mm. I enjoyed mm. that it wasn't actually necessarily consummated at any point in time yeah yeah it was literally um i think one kiss and at different times them saying i love you and that's that was kind of their romance um the final the scene in this film really... oh yes is iconic mm -hmm. i mean it's one of the great final sequences in cinema history yes thousand percent it is the it's it's a sequence that has been lampooned parodied um memed and everything up the wazoo but it still packs a punch today still that sound is incredible yeah. the screech of um the uh the pod people is is just mm -hmm. terrifying mm -hmm. apparently it was a pig scream initially and they did some shit to it obviously they make it sound a little bit more unnatural but um okay I mean, that would have scared the crap out of it. And it's kind of different because you know it's coming. Yeah. But, like, the first time you saw it, apparently they wanted to, they had a scripted uh, optimistic ending where <laughs> okay. where Donald Sutherland would have given a, a knowing look at Veronica Cartwright as she walked up to him in um, outside, uh, well, what is actually, that's actually San Francisco Town Hall. Mm. Um, but uh, Philip Kaufman decided, uh, didn't shoot it, um because he didn't despite the fact he didn't want to use it um he just didn't want to tempt the studio to try and insert it into the film um uh without his consent um so he just didn't film it but and you're like oh it's one of those moments where you go what you leave out is just sometimes every bit as important as what you leave in yes yes absolutely um the other thing that i would just like to touch on as well is the score the oh, music wonderful. for this yeah. is brilliant 
just brilliant. It captures the, the, the period really well, obviously, but it just so deftly just, again, cranks up the paranoia, the fear, and the antagonism. This it, it just swells throughout the whole thing as more and more and more people in the California are being consumed. The music just feels like it's closing in around you and suffocating you as well. And it does it so well. It's really, really good. I'm actually going to look interesting. It's direct. It's done by Denny Zetlin, uh, who I've never heard no, of. And interestingly, no. this is the only film he ever got a composer credit for. Damn. He only okay. had a soundtrack credit for two other things, uh, for three, um, three things, one of which was Sesame Street. Um, <laughs> that would be a really weird, creepy way to end this. You know, Donald Sutherland going, <laughs> I think it would be even creepy if it was, that was, that was Big Bird going, <laughs> Oh, no, now I want to see a Muppets version of this. That would be cool. Um... <laughs> You're right. It's kind of remarkable because it, it is notable for being every every element of this is nigh on perfect. Mm, um, mm. I mean, the only the only criticism I think you'd have of it, um, and, and that's completely irrelevant in a way, is that some mm. of the effects we talked about the effects at the start and how good they were, how well mm. they hold up. Some of the monster effects later in the film, especially the pod people bodies, mm-hmm. mm, yeah, look a bit naff. But yeah it's a 43 year old film so you know yeah. you're not going to complain too hard about that for its time it looks good even even the hybrid the the dog man thing it, it looks weird but it's supposed to look weird and muta- mutated and it's like oh it doesn't look quite as horrific as they wanted it to look i think no, I mean, I Good. did show somebody recently the thing who had never seen it before, and they weren't as impressed by the effects as I expected them to be. So, you know, uh, I just think it's just something about that time period that kind of, mm. you know, they were like, this probably wasn't a particularly high budget film at the time. Mm. Yeah. But uh, I just think if I can, one last thing that popped into my head just now is that mm. just to give you an idea about how successful this film is at what it does, it feels very claustrophobic to me. Mm-hmm. And it's set in a city the size of San Francisco, which is a big place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yet somehow it still feels claustrophobic because they're always surrounded. And you can't, as you sort of noted at the start, they can't trust yeah. anyone. So, if you haven't seen this film, mm-hmm. uh, you really do deserve to mm-hmm. give yourself a favor and have a look at it because it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And in a way, every bit as relevant now as it was 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I 100% recommend this. I'm so glad that I picked it. But you said that you've got a doozy for us to go on to next. Where are oh, you taking us? do I ever. Who and are we following? We're going to follow the one, the only, the inimitable, Jeff Goldblum. Okay. It is an Where obvious choice. Mm-hmm. And I, unfortunately, this one's free. You can watch the whole film on YouTube. Um. We are going to be 1988 comedy, you know, sci-fi adventure romance classic vibes. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Starring oh, wow. one, the only uh, Cindy Lauper. I believe they're only star in film, star in role. 
Oh boy, dude, you are giving me a tough place to go on from hey, this. Look, Julian, Julian Sands is in it, and he's been in a heap of shit. Michael Lerner's in it, and he's been in like hundreds of films. So you know, you'll. Oh, I've got Peter Falk. They'll get me to some interesting places. That's yes. all right. Um, I oh, and Steve I... Holy shit! There's, there's a few different people in this. You'll you'll, you'll be able to find something interesting. Out okay, this, I'm sure. I'll find, but I'll and find like something. I said, the entire film is on YouTube. All right. <laughs> That's going to be fun. For those who um, don't know, Vibes, the plot is two psychics are hired to find the location of a lost Incan city located somewhere in the Ecuadorian mountains that is said to hide great treasure. And note there is a grammatical error in the synopsis. Just that, and I think that's very appropriate for this film. <laughs> this is sitting at a 5.7 on IMDb. So... Um, <clears throat> Look, it's it's not exactly Manos Hands of Fate. Um <laughs> But yes, I I think it's 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 a it's a it's a change in pace from you know a noted classic like uh invention of a body snatchers <laughs> or ordinary people. You know, I just sort of felt like we needed to get back mm -hmm. to basics and where we started with we started this with Streets of Fire, you know. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want to follow Cindy Lauper to the Goonies, <laughs> or you could follow the writer of the film uh, uh, Lowell Gans to Splash. It's your call. You've got all sorts of places you can go. Oh, yeah, I will, I will come up with something, and I look forward to enjoying the vibes, man. Vibes. The it's vibes. Uh, you've never seen anything quite like it. <laughs> if that's not the tagline of the movie, I'm disappointed. <laughs> Big time. Yeah, uh, I, I will. Um, uh, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but um, mm. oh my god, Van Dyke Parks is in it. It's a what an odd little film this is. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, Van Dyke Parks is a musician, uh, best known as a musician who um, worked with um, Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys on some of their um, okay. best known stuff. Um, oh, and he did the, the Departed soundtrack. So, oh, and Popeye. Yeah, what an odd <laughs> little film. I'm looking forward to this. Mm. All right. Well, that is next week's chain movie, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum in Vibes from 1988. 1988. The golden yes. age of psychic comedy adventure movies. <laughs> they did have a moment, didn't they? <laughs> Very much for Citizen Kane of psychic movies, this one. I'm right out there with um, Dinner for Schmucks. <laughs> Now, I have one last little thing that I would like to um, just call back to Shoot. and uh, kicking the boots in. And I'm going to get the boots into um, a very popular man. That is one Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Mm -hmm. And I have a message for him. Stop trying so hard. He, he does what he does well. And he is such a shameless self-promoter and it's hurting his roles now hurting his performances i'm speaking directly because of jungle cruise so jungle cruise is the latest ride to movie adaptation that disney have done and every single thing that you might think oh it's a bit like that it is a bit like that it is a lot of brendan fraser rachel wise the mummy it is a lot of pirates of the caribbean and it is not as good as any of those um, purely because 
everyone involved is trying too hard. And in particular, Dwayne Johnson, because he is now very quickly fallen into, we talked about it last week with Ryan Reynolds and Free Guy, where he's reached saturation point of being Ryan Reynolds slash Deadpool in every movie. Do Going um, even further, you've got uh, Johnny Depp, who has had essentially the same weird character for the last 15, 20 years. Dwayne Johnson is, again, the same kind of character, but it's for this movie, it's because he's just pushing too hard, and it's like, okay, you've got natural charisma, just ease back, ease back, please. Emily Blunt is wonderful in this movie, but she's, again, trying a bit too hard, whereas Rachel Weisz, in a very similar role, was much more organic and natural and it just flowed more so it's a big missed opportunity because they are Emily Blunt is a great actress and Dwayne Johnson is a solid performer he knows how to do his things but they just everyone including the director are all just trying so hard to go look aren't we so lovable aren't we so good isn't this such an enjoyable ride everyone's having fun and I'm like yeah you don't need to bring my attention to it you don't so just just stop just stop i've been um, all i wanted to say uh i've always felt that Dwayne, like i remember when he first started acting i always thought he had a massive amount of potential so i was never overly Mm. surprised he became the big star that he became um what's been disappointing i guess for me as a fan of man as a professional wrestler and sort of a fan of his acting is how little he's ever stretched himself Mm. um you know he's never never really stepped outside his comfort zone that i can think of uh and you know one fair movie. enough people are paying one movie and that was uh southland tales mm-hmm. which was a bad movie maybe but geez that film was a piece of shit yeah um but he did play so he hasn't really ever done a lot of that so if i haven't no. seen that in a very long time but he just does you know again when people are coming up to you going he's a truckload of money Play a helicopter pilot flying people away from an earthquake. Mm. Yeah, right. Um, that's cool. But I mean, I'm surprised that someone as talented as him hasn't been tempted. Because surely mm. people have come to him and said, Paul Thomas Anderson or someone's come to him and gone, you know, not necessarily PT Anderson, but someone like that. Yeah, gone, he is a, you know, really offbeat, off kilter kind of role. And I think you know, you'd be really interesting in. Mm. And he's never really done it. I mean, again, I don't know that anybody's offered anything to him, but surely the opportunity is the biggest movie star in the world. You get to pick what you do next. And if you decide, actually, I'd like to do something a bit different and interesting this time. And, you know, you you pick up a phone and say, you know who I really enjoy? I really enjoy Darren Aronofsky's films. Oh, I really Mm. enjoy Paul Thomas Anderson. Or I really Mm. enjoy, I don't know, Quentin Tarantino. I don't know. Yeah. somebody making each films mm. and go hi i really like what you did last time with you know isle of dogs or whatever it is if you ever have a role for me would you be interested in working together i mean i i mean I don't, those guys are auteurs but you have dwayne johnson on the books your mm-hmm. film's probably getting made mm-hmm. right even um, i would, I would love in just even before kind of taking on a full film just having like a weird character cameo 
just one of those pop in pop out comedic death or whatever or, or dumb fuck stupid scenario just just to give a little a taste for him of so like what it could be and a, just a sample for everyone else uh it, yeah i guess if he's not interested he's not interested he just wants to make action mm. films and sure i guess yeah. um but i mean even if you, usually people do that when they get to the end of their career if bruce mm. willis does now he just makes garbage um because i guess he's got enough money and he just does whatever he, he wants to do but it's it's just been disappointing that someone of that much talent I, i'll be interested to see what he does with black adam because maybe a superhero film is a slight sideways step outside of what he usually does i don't know because he kind of ends up every character that he ever plays ends up being superpowered in some way it, not necessarily in the superhero style but it's like i mean you think of the character that he is in the fast and the furious movies and he's he's basically a superhero just without the tidy whities on the outside of his pants you know <laughs> it's he he's never like i would love to see him i i would love to see him in a kevin smith movie he was in a kevin smith movie no he wasn't was the other guys? Was that a Kevin Smith movie? Mm, I don't think that was a Kevin Smith movie. The other guys. Everyone getting it wrong, um, getting it mixed up with that Bruce Willis film he did. Um, yeah. um I don't know. Once upon a time, sorry, I'm very right. It's Adam McKay, not Kevin Smith. Um, right, yeah. uh, I've been a long time since Kev did something that was worth seeing. But that's that's my point. I would just kind of like to see him just Kevin Smith the do a Kevin Smith parody version of The Rock in some way, shape, or form. I'd love to see him in Clerks Three. You're not even supposed to be here today. That would be <laughs> hilarious. Um, interestingly, Black Adam is being directed by Jaume Colette Serra, who I've never heard of. But mm. interesting, his most recent work as a director was Jungle Cruise. Uh, so that doesn't um bode well um, it, like i say it's not a bad movie it's just guilty of trying too hard much like me in the bedroom um, oh snap that's a self-burn those are rare yeah. um that's uh, i mean yeah want. we don't want okay you know it's mm. a bit like finch finch wasn't a bad film it was just meh like mm. and so i want to go and see i mean I want DC to make better films. Mm. Um, and for me, Shazam was a, maybe a smidge above, meh. Yeah, it was a, mm -hmm. meh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and in fairness, it was only meh because everything else DC's had his name has been like, ugh. Um, uh, so you get Come a, to Armchair Producers for the most accurate... <laughs> Easy to follow movie reviews. And the thing is that everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. You go, it's a little bit like earlier. You were talking about um, Edgar Wright. You get it. You get. You look at Edgar Wright's films, and most of them are like, oh yeah. And you know, he comes up with one, and he's coming up with one. It's like, yeah, he's a step back from oh. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our, that is our thing now. We don't give numbers for reviews. We give audibles. <laughs> sounds he's sort of grunts it's yes. just like it's, it's it's like home improvement but it's a podcast 
um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I would yeah, it was being, I would like Black Adam to be good because I thought mm. Shazam was okay, but mm. Mm. Yeah. anyway, um, I'm with you. I think I think you could do more, and mm. there is a lot of rock, a lot of Dwayne Johnson coming out. He has mm. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven films in development, including Big Trouble in Little China, apparently. Stop it, Hollywood. But, you know, Just that one's been it. sitting around for a while, so fingers crossed mm-hmm. that never happens. Yeah. But my my request to Dwayne Johnson is surprise me. Yeah, there we go. Exactly. Do something. Even Tom Cruise went out and did um, uh, Magnolia oh, the, back the, in the yeah. He did um, Eyes Wide Shut in the late 90s. <laughs> And you know and they what was were that, very uh, Len Grossman or something for Tropic Thunder. That was right? in Tropic Thunder in the mid two thousand. These are all un Tom Cruisey kind of roles. Mm-hmm. He was unrecognizable as Len Grossman, and the fact I should have made that spin off movie when they could because they can't make it now. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I'd like to see I'd like to see The Rock turn up in something where you go, "That was The Rock." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Put tons of prosthetics on him, let him disappear. Boom. I'm with you on that one. Good call. Yeah. Any other final thoughts, or should we wrap it up at a standard two hours? I think it's right on the uh, two-hour mark, so we will wrap it up for a sprightly hour 55 minutes of thereabouts. <laughs> but thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for so much for joining us live, if you did, and for later on or on podcast services, where all good podcast services are available. Um, we have been talking about Cowboy Bebop, Wheel of Time, The Morning Show, Finch. We had our sponsors from 1970. Don't forget to redeem those codes, ladies and gentlemen. Last night in Soho, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We're going to be going on to Vibes and um, had a little bit of a dig at Dwayne Johnson. We know you can do better. Go on, show us, surprise us. Bit of a packed show. I think we did quite well. I did. Yeah, yes. It, 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 it's we're catching up. We're catching up slowly with everything that's yes. happened over the last couple of months. Yeah, um, and hopefully, uh, very soon. Depending on how things go, we will. De- I think we'll have be able to have some early talks about Hawkeye. Is that comes out tomorrow? Not uh, really, today. Today, today tomorrow. I know. I, I did something this week. I promised I would never do. I signed up for Disney Plus. You fool. But I did cancel one of my other streaming services before I did it. So I always said I'd never sign up for another one. That's so fair. I've cancelled one and signed up for that. And it just said a big banner on Disney Plus this afternoon that said, coming November 24. I'm like, it's November 24. And I clicked on it and they're like, nah. And so mm-hmm. it must mean November 24. It's now streaming. There now available. Well, fuck you, now Disney. Um, <laughs> it, it, that's what it means. It means November 24 in the US because I, anyone, I guess they didn't want it pirated. But anyway, I'll be... Um, Curious, we have a, we will have some early impressions on that one. Hmm. Yeah, and then uh, no doubt we will have some other bits and pieces. Like there's, um, I'm I'm going to be actually going to watch Newsroom for the first time ever. I will and... use it in your take because I loved it. Hmm. I I am. I, my hopes are pretty high, so I'm going to try and temper them and just enjoy. But thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next week. Good night. Good night.